I'm Devorah Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. So I, 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 I heard something interesting the other day. I don't know the name of the French philosopher, but he said, um, you know, between the letters B and D come the letter C. And this is coming from a non-Jewish source, but basically what he said is that, you know, B is birth and D stands for death and C represents the word choice. That basically everything between you know every anything that matters in life and of course we know this from the torah itself we talked about it last week a little bit that the idea that uh, a human being was created with salam elohim and god's image is the idea that human beings unlike any other creation have the ability to choose and when we talk about choice we're not talking about choosing vanilla ice cream over chocolate ice cream or where I want to go on my next vacation, right? Um, but rather moral choice, right? Choices of right and wrong, which of course we learn from our Torah. We know from our Torah. Our Torah is not a science book. It's not a history book. It's a book. It's an instruction booklet. And it's a book that helps us master ourselves inside, become master of ourselves. And of course, know how to go out into the world and master the world and 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 in both instances do this as a way of connecting to our divine self to our divine spirit within us and of course god himself who is all around us and within all of the physical world that exists around us <clears throat> so thank you again to stacy for sponsoring this class and your mother Leah Bas Zaharia have an have an Aliyah and look down and see the beautiful family that she's produced through her choice and her husband's choice of making sure that her kids had a yeshiva education. <clears throat> so this week's parsha, I'm sorry about my voice. Hold on. <clears throat> this week's parsha is a great place for us to begin this new um this new uh, study that we're going to do together, which is an extension of our Musar Vadim, Musar being the aspect of Torah that really emphasizes and um, highlights character development. In Derech Eris, in Torah, if a person doesn't perfect himself and work to develop his character traits, then he doesn't make himself into a vessel that can contain the Torah's teachings. So we need to work to develop ourselves. And this parsha begins with the word, with the words lach lecha, right? Where Avraham is telling, uh, sorry, God himself is telling Avraham, this is considered to be the first of the 10 of Avraham's tests, that he has to leave everything. He has to go away from everything that he's known, every a definition of himself that he might have based on his father's home, from his birthplace, from his his country, from his city, 
and he has to go and listen to hearken to this voice um, that's outside of him, God's voice, and go. And of course, Rashi asks the famous question, what do we need the words lach lecha? Isn't it enough for God to have just said go as opposed to go lecha? So Rashi, sorry, let me just find this. Rashi says the word lecha is basically saying that God is saying go for your benefit. Go for your own sake. This is going to be a good thing for you to do. It's going to benefit you. And of course, we know Rashi says, uh, the benefit and the good is that I'm going to make of you a great nation. Because here where you are now, you won't merit the privilege of having children. And there you will. And there you will become famous so that you will be able to carry out your spiritual mission. And of course, we know that Avram's spiritual mission was to bring the teaching of monotheism into the world, the concept of one God, and make that famous again. It was once famous, obviously, when the world was created. But we know between Adam and Noah, there were 10 generations where the world basically descended into this, you know, place of total debasement and absolute um, <clears throat> no knowledge of God anymore in terms of listening to his directives. And the world was wiped out. But there was always this tradition of monotheism that continued from Adam through Noah's son, Shem. And as you know, Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Yefet. Shem is where the Jewish people come from, where Avraham comes through. Interestingly, in Hebrew, when we want to say, sorry, in English, when we want to say somebody hates Jews, right, we call them an anti-Semite. Well, the word, word Sam is Shem, shame, okay? So, <clears throat> There was this tradition, that had, but it had been lost. <coughs> there was even a yeshiva in the time that Avraham lived called the yeshiva of Shem and Aver, which continued this tradition of the teaching from Adam of the one God. But Avraham, of course, was somebody who was raised in the house of idol worshippers. His father was the... Uh, he had the largest department store of idols in town. He was the biggest businessman there. And I'm sure you all know the Medrashic story about how when Avram was a young child, actually at the age of three, the rabbis tell us he began his search inward or outward as well, looking around the world and trying to figure out who was the creator, you know, whether the creator had a relationship with his creation. <clears throat> and he basically, through, from the age of three until I think he was 48, um, was just busy developing his understanding of the world outside and the world within him until he came to a point where he was able to basically, we're told that he understood the entire Torah and was living by the mitzvot of the Torah before it was even given. So Avraham ate matzah on Pesach before the Jews even went down to Egypt. Now, this is a difficult idea to understand, but the idea is that Torah is, Torah was created before the world was created, that it's a blueprint for creation, and that everything is in it, and that Avraham basically, we're told his 
kidneys, which is the seat of wisdom, became the teachers of Torah, and he understood all of what he was meant to do. But again, back to this idea of lech lecha, another way that we read these words are go to you, go to yourself, right? The word le can mean for, and it can also mean to. And that's the um, goal of our class and of Muslim development in general, is that before a person or while a person is, is, uh, is um, <clears throat> of course, external and is meant to go out into the world and affect and influence the world and change the world through his choices, through his actions, <clears throat> through the way that he behaves, etc. Together with that, and perhaps largely ignored by most people, is that we are also meant to be taking an inward journey, an inward directed journey, that we have worlds to conquer, not only outside of us, but within us. You know, we know the expression tikkun olam, right? It's very popular in many Jewish worlds. The idea that we're here to repair the world, to fix the world. We're here as partners with God to finish the creation that God, so to speak, left undone and that we will partner together with him to finish. But, you know, very often we're focused on outside, conquering the world outside of us. But we also have a tikkun hanefesh. We have to repair and fix our own souls and begin there as Avram Avinu did. Lech lecha, go to you. And very often, just like Avram had to shake up his world and God had to remove him and take him out of his, so to speak, comfort zone. Um, <clears throat> so too, it's uncomfortable for us to journey inward. And that's why most people don't do it. <laughs> it can be frightening. And to be honest, intellectually honest, emotionally honest with oneself. And the fact, as we've said in many classes before, that Hashem gives us a homer. He gives us positives. He gives us negatives. And he says, take this and make something out of it. Right? Uh, develop this. Mold it. Each one of you is so unique that only you can do the work. And the work that you do is so important to the future of your own life and the future of mankind. So this is the tikkun manefesh. <clears throat> As I said, people spend their life conquering their outer world without paying proper attention to investigating and knowing their inner world and conquering that world. And we can only do this by getting to know who we are and what we are made of. So that's one of the goals of our class is to learn a whole new mahalach, as they say, a whole new way of understanding what our inner world is made up of. Of course, we've talked about all kinds of different midot in these classes, but this is going to put a bit of a different way and a spin. And we've touched on it in certain classes, the idea that we are created from the four elements. Again, that the outer world around us is a reflection of the inner world. 
And right from the beginning of the Torah, the entire creation of the world, which of course we can never understand because it's very, very deep, the rabbis tell us. But one of the things that Rabbi Buxbaum pulls, pulls out based on many, many commentators is the idea that you see the four elements in the creation of the world right from the very beginning of creation, right? We have God creating light, which obviously is the element of fire. And of course, there's the water that separates from into sky or wind, right? On the third day, actually, it's completed. The, the firmament is separated. The waters of the uh, down here and so to speak the waters up above that create the air the wind which is another of the elements right water and then of course on the third day of creation you have the earth the earth emerging where all animal and human life will exist and you see too that there's parallels between the first three days of creation and the last three days of creation, right? On the first day, God creates the light, the, the, the day and the night. And on the, on the fourth day, we have God putting the luminaries, right? The sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, filling in that space with those, um, those luminaries, right? Which are not, by the way, Another idea that I just want to say, because I think it's so important, <clears throat> is that I'm sure many of you are familiar with the fact that the very first light at the beginning of the Torah was a light that is called the Or Haganuz, the hidden light, that it was such a powerful and spiritual light, which we could liken to the fire element, okay, that God said it's too powerful for me to leave it the way it is, I am going to hide it. Because the Rashaim of the world, the wicked of the world will use this light for bad. And therefore, it is too powerful for me to just leave, I'm going to hide it. And there are different ideas of where it's hidden. But they basically are hidden in all these places. One is Olam Haba in the next world. One is for Tzadikim, the righteous people in this world who will know how to use it appropriately. And then, of course, it is hidden in the Torah, meaning that those who learn and extract the wisdom and the lessons and the depth and the instructions of the Torah into their being are releasing this light into the world and into, into their own lives. So this is the Or HaGanuz. We're going to see it again at Hanukkah time that the lights of the menorah are actually symbolic or actually a, a spark of this hidden light that, you know, is revealed at different times in the Jewish, in the Jewish year, but specifically at Hanukkah. So the outer world around us is a reflection of the inner world, just like we see at the beginning of creation, the world was made with these four elements. And there's an interesting idea that I never heard before. I never heard this explanation. But when God says, let us make man in Bereshis, of course, the, the uh, Rashi asks, who is he talking to? There's, you know, what, who is us? So the common answer that uh, I'm sure many of you know is that he was talking to the angels. 
He said, let us make man. Now, the question is, does he, did he really need the angels to help him? No, he didn't. And, but nevertheless, God says, let us make man and addresses the angels to show humility, to teach us the lesson of humility. That even if you are the most powerful person, you're the CEO of the company, you should never be too arrogant to ask your underlings for their advice or their help. And at the risk of people thinking that God needs angels to help him make man or that God relies on any other power other than himself, God felt it was still that important to teach this lesson of humility, you know, at the risk of people thinking there's more than one power. So very important. But this is really interesting that what Rabbi Buckfrom points out in his book, The Four Elements of an Empowered Life, which is available, by the way, if you'd like to get it and go along with me in it. It's a very interesting read. Um, <clears throat> what he points out in his book is that let us make man that God was talking to the elements, the four elements. And he was saying, let us make man out of these four elements, the same elements that are um, very much a part or are, are the beginnings of the outer world, that this is the same thing that we're going to create man from, okay? So what we want to do in this course is, a, you know, figure out a system for how to live the best possible life, how to approach our life and become the best version of ourselves, and use the endless amount of wisdom that's in the Torah to do this. So there's a certain system that Rabbi Buxbaum puts forth in this book that can take us through this journey. So just to go back again to these four elements, which are the building blocks of all matter, okay? Earth, water, wind, and fire. And basically in scientific terminology, we're told that everything exists in one of four of these states. And they translate scientifically into earth is a solid, water liquid, wind is gas, and plasma is fire. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is what does each one of these have to do with my spiritual growth, with my personal growth? How can I harness these elements from which I made to become a master over myself. Because as the Vilna Gaon said, the purpose of life is to correct our character traits. Okay. So you're probably familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of, of needs, right? Where he basically says at the bottom, we need food to be able to survive. Actually, I wish I had pulled it up. Does anybody? Well, whatever. Basically, the idea is there that once you have all your physical needs taken care of, you can reach the top of his chart, which is self-actualization and spiritual development. So this is not his chart. This is the Jewish version based on what we're going to talk about. I hope you can see it. But it's the same kind of triangle of hierarchy. And the bottom is earth, which is the largest part of who, what we're made of. 
then comes water, then comes wind. And finally at the top, the smallest triangle is fire. And these are the four elements from which all of us are composed. Okay, let me make sure I said all the things I wanna say. So again, the Torah is not a history book. It's not a science book. It's a book that teaches us how to live and how to connect to our creator, how to build ourselves and how to build the world around us. Just an interesting thing, and this is a little bit of a different idea, but the same idea from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs in one of his essays on this Parsha, he's talking about this Pasuk. Hashem says to Avram, Avram, I want you to leave your land, your birthplace, your father's house, and go to the land that I will show you. Again, an external journey, an outer journey, but also go to you, an internal journey, because the outside and the inside world are always reflections of each other. And what, uh, what Rabbi Sachs says is that Abraham was about to become the father of an inner directed people. His entire life was governed by an inner voice, the voice of God. He didn't behave the way he did because that's how people had always acted. Nor did he conform to the customs of his age. He had the courage to be on one side. Right, Avraham Ha'ivri, which means on the other side. The word Hebrew means he was on one side of the world when everybody else was on the other. His mission was to instruct his children and his household after him to keep the way of Hashem by doing what is right and just. Anyway, basically, he goes on to say that interdirected people tend to be pioneers, exploring the new and unknown even while keeping faith with the old. <clears throat> Avram becomes the father of all of the great religions, all of the three largest religions in the world by taking this journey inward. Inner directedness means the courage to be different. And the words lechlecha, meaning go to yourself, are talking about following the inner voice as did those who came before you, continuing their journey by bringing timeless values to a rapidly changing world. A little bit from Rabbi Sachs, who always wrote so beautifully and gave us so much beautiful Torah in his lifetime. Okay, so <clears throat> we're all created from these four elements, earth, water, wind, and fire. And if you ask people, as Rabbi Buxbaum has done to many audiences. And if you think about it just for a minute, we all tend to feel or connect to one of these elements more so than the other. You know, for yourselves that you can write down without thinking into it too much and you don't really know what each one is, you know. <clears throat> but you know people who have a fiery personality, right? Who are quick, who are passionate, who maybe you know, on the negative side, tend to explode more easily than others, right? So we naturally would think, oh, 
that's fire. They're fire, right? Then you might have those water people in your life, you know, that seem to go with the flow and they just know how to enjoy things and take the most out of the pleasures of life and, you know, whatever, just uh, really pleasure seekers and, uh, and um, enjoy the blessings of this world. And maybe, you know, earthy people, earthy people who are very pragmatic, who, you know, um, put stability and security above everything else, maybe aren't big risk takers, you know, but you can rely on them. They're like salt of the earth, right? <laughs> and, um, you know, maybe they're a little uh, more into, uh, I can't remember the name of that store. You know, some of these earthy stores in the mall. There's one famous one. What's his name? I don't know. You guys can't talk. Um, you know, whatever. So there's the earth. And then we have the wind. And the wind actually represents, we're going to find out, uh, thought. People who are in their heads. Uh, it represents speech. Air, right? People who are full of hot air, right? who have a lot to say, not necessarily things you want to hear, but they're very much uh, dominant in that part of themselves. So, you know, just without thinking about it too much, or maybe you have, maybe it's connected to your horoscope sign, which it could be. Um, you know, I happen to be a fire sign, so I do think I have some of that element pretty strongly in me, just looking at my life and my behaviors and the way I've been. Another clue to it is looking at yourself as a child, because they say that by the age of three, everything that you're going to be is already there. It's already present in that behavior. You know, are you a kid who shares easily? Are you a kid who holds tight to your stuff? Are you... These are character traits that you'll grapple with throughout your whole life. So, you know, or if you have your parents around and you talk to them and ask them, you know, what was I like? What do you remember about me? These are all hints to like which elements or elements are the most dominant in you. But we share all four of them. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> A human being, as I said, is called an olam katan, a small world. Every human being is a world. That's why God created the world with one person. He could have created with families. He could have created a whole village or a country. He could have done whatever he wanted to do. But again, the Torah is teaching us wisdom, lessons. It's not a history book. It's not a science book. You try to read it that way, it makes no sense. We have the oral tradition that helps us to understand the Torah that is integral, right? Again, just going back to the beginning of Bereshit, beginning with the big letter bet. We said the bet is telling us go forward in your life. You can't go backwards. Move forward. It's a new beginning. We're starting reading Bereshit again. But the bet is also an allusion to the fact that there are two Torahs. Torah Shabichtav, the written Torah, and Torah Shabalpeh. And you can't have one without the other, right? You cannot understand the written Torah without the oral Torah. It says in the written Torah that you should, you know, 
wear tefillin. You should wear these phylacteries, but nowhere does it tell you what they look like or what they are or how to make them or what to put inside of them. And there are many, many, many examples of this in the written Torah where we are given no instructions as to what these things are because without the Torah Shabalpah, without the oral law, which Moshe Rabbeinu got also together with the, with the Luchot, with the, with the Ten Commandments, if you like, was also for 40 days and 40 nights, he was learning the Torah Shabalpah, the instructions that go together with the written Torah. Okay, uh, just uh, foundational ideas for those of you who need a reminder. So the idea of these four elements and why they're so important for us to knowing what they are and how they make us up is because the more we can refine these four elements within us, this is the way that we are on our way to living an empowered life, to understanding what our mission is in this world, what it is that is our specific and particular uh, struggle, if you like, that is the point of our mission. And the more we know about these elements within ourselves, the greater uh, of a handle we can have on the areas that we need to develop and work on. So there are many, many places that discuss these four elements within the person. There's the Zohar, there's the Medrash, the Rambam, and they all saw the, these four elements as a paradigm for character development, for personal growth. Now, the most quoted of all of these sources is Rav Chaim Vital, who was a Kabbalist, in Sfat, he wrote a sefer called the Share Kedusha. And in that sefer, he basically says that all of our element, all of our attributes, all of our midot are connected in one way or another to these four elements. Again, one or two being mo most dominant, some less dominant, and all of that. Just as an aside, um, if you're interested, uh, maybe you've seen this TED Talk. It was the first TED Talk to actually go viral. It was a TED Talk by this woman, uh, Dr. Jill Taylor Bolt, or is it Jill Bolt Taylor? Yeah, Jill Bolt Taylor. Marlene, stop laughing. Okay, Jill Bolt Taylor. Um, and I think it's called Stroke of Insight. She was a neuroscientist at Harvard and at 37 years old or 39, she had a stroke and the, right, the left side of her brain went completely dark. She wasn't able to speak or walk or think logically. She had no memories. All of her childhood pain disappeared, which she said was actually a good thing. You could imagine having that happen. And she was totally living in the right side of her brain, which she said was like having died and gone to heaven. She was in total bliss, total nirvana. And interestingly, though, she still had a sense that she could stay like that. Or she could work her way to getting back to becoming a full human being by reigniting her left brain again. I, I haven't read the book. I don't know how she did it. But she did it, and she believes that people can do it. It took her eight years. 
But now she wrote another book called Whole Brain Thinking or Whole Brain Living. And it's amazing how similar it is to all of our Jewish ideas, which is basically, you know, I don't know if it, how it connects to the four elements, but it's the idea that we have different characters in our brain, in our thoughts, which is who we are, what we think, and how we act on our thoughts. And, whoops, hold on. And to the degree that we can, you know, know these characters and use them appropriately, that's to the degree that we master ourselves. So if you're interested, go to um, that TED Talk, which is fascinating. And you can see interviews of her new book uh, many years later, um, but it's very fascinating. And somebody who, who has, has um, delved into this topic, many topics is supposed to, I have a meeting with her to explain to me how this could sort of stem with Yiddishkeit and these four elements. But also basically she says that this one part of the brain this fourth part of the brain on the right side of the brain is basically where our soul intercepts because it's a place of complete love and interconnectedness. And she talks about how incredibly, the incredible wisdom that's there and it's accessible to all people. And she calls it, you know, she says you can call it, you know, godliness or the powers, the power of the world. But it's, it's very interesting. Anyway, that's for your homework. Um, okay. <laughs> so each one of us, according to the Arizal, according to the Vilna Gaon, each one of us has a purpose and a mission in this world. And that's why it's important for us to understand the source of our character traits, how to bring out our positive qualities and eliminate or filter out some of the negative elements of our character. You know, I remember when I was a mother of five kids, thank God, I think they were six and a half and under. And of course, you know what I was busy doing, changing diapers and, you know, being chained to the kitchen sink, if you like, that uh, horrible vision of women and children. But, uh, you know, I remember coming upon somebody who was teaching, what is your life mission? What is your life goal? And I, I at the time, I was very cynical and, and uh, sort of... Uh, my response to that was like, what do you mean? What is my life's mission? I mean, my life's mission is obvious. Like, no, really, I'm supposed to be a lead singer in a rock and roll band right now. But, you know, life has me tied to the kitchen sink with six, you know, five kids, six and under. Um, you know, I just felt like, come on, you know, like what's right in front of you, what you're doing right now, what next step you take is your life's mission. And there is truth in that. There is truth in that, right? As somebody said, grow where you're planted. If you are in your situation with your specific set of circumstances, at this moment in life, this is all about what your mission is. But the idea here is that as we go deeper inside and we discover for ourselves more about who we are, we can look outward at our world and perhaps be less reactive and more mindful, if you like, conscious 
of our life's mission sort of becoming clearer in terms of the mastery over ourselves and the world around us. So the question is, you know, how can I become the diamond that I believe I can be? And, you know, Rabbi Buxbaum even says, you might never really know exactly what your mission is, but the journey begins by asking, who do I need to be to be able to accomplish my mission? And that when you ask that question, the mission unfolds in front of you. When you just show up and decide that you want to know more about who you can be. And, you know, again, people tend to look outside of themselves for their mission. You know, my career, some massive accomplishment that I'm supposed to make. You know, some great artistic endeavor. Maybe even, you know, a chesed project that I'm going to become known for. But what, you know, the Vilna Gaon and what Lech Lecha is telling us is we have to take the journey inward. It's not enough. It's, it's easy in a certain sense to look good outside of our homes, right? To conquer the world outside. But the world inside is, 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 is a world that also needs attention, in order to really accomplish our outside mission. Okay, so these four elements that appear in the Torah at the beginning of Bereshis, they actually run all through the Torah, okay? We can see these elements weaved into the stories of the Torah. For example, whenever fire is spoken of in the Torah, whether it's the burning bush, whether it's the fire on the altar, right? whether it's the pillar of fire that was with the Jewish people in the desert. Whenever fire is mentioned, there's an allusion to what we know about the element of fire. When water is mentioned at the beginning of the Torah, whether it's at the beginning of creation, where we know the waters were separated with the upper waters becoming the heavens, right? And there's even a question I think Rashi asked. It says, how is it that the upper waters don't fall down? And Rashi gives this beautiful, beautiful description of how when God separated the waters, he basically tells the waters above to stand at attention. And just like a soldier in an army who, you know, is disciplined and doesn't move a muscle when he's told to give an order, so too, from the beginning of creation, the only reason that the heavens stay where they are is because they're standing at attention, frozen in front of their creator. To teach us, again, the idea of Yeras Hashem, awe of the creator, discipline, so many lessons that we learn in every step, in every second, in every letter, in every verse, in every word of the Torah. <clears throat> so in the creation story the pattern of creation is focusing on the elements but not in an obvious way but as creation unfolds we see it more and more we see that the same way the world was created with light and fire right and then eventually sort of is clothed in other parts with the water and the wind and the earth it's like Hashem is dressing clothing the more spiritual the more elemental 
fire with more earthy until we come right down to the earth elements, right? Just the same way that our soul, which is completely spiritual, which is actually above these four elements. It's not even part of these four elements. We're going to talk about that. Our four elements are part of our nefesh, which is our life force, which is our personalities. But our neshama, our soul, is above that and something completely different with its own levels. Okay, I can't begin to understand all of this, but I'm going to do my best. You'll come along for the ride. Okay, but right now we're sticking with the simple stuff, like the four elements. Ha ha. Okay. Um, and of course, there's parts of us that are more earthy, that are more mass, if you like. As human beings, we all share that earthy physical part of us. And there's parts of us that are more fire, which means more abstract, more spiritual. Again, just like Maslow's hierarchy, we have the wider, the bottom is at the earth and the top is the fire. God creates the world, so to speak, in the inverted order, starting with the fire, the light, and then clothing it with the last element, which is earth which is obviously the most physical. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about this earth element. Let's start with that. And we're going to, you know, completely develop this more and more and connect it actually to some of the stories in the Parsha in the future that we're going to be reading in the next, you know, or have read um, at the very beginning of Bereshis and throughout it. So earth is basically talking about our physical body, the body that walks the planet. It's the part of your nefesh. And again, the word nefesh means your life force. It's the part of your nefesh that is concerned for your survival. It's called primal instinct, survival. It's concerned with your well-being. It's concerned with your health. It's concerned with the maintenance of your physical body. It's what pushes you to eat. It's what pushes you to stay alive. It's your concern that every human being has with his stability and his survival on a very basic level. Now, this is the element of earth. And this we all have in common. Now, if you're somebody who is only earth and is primarily and dominantly earth, then it could be that it manifests itself is in, you know, you just, you just want to get stuff. You just want to make sure that you are as secure as possible. Everybody else represents competition. Earth is the scarcity mindset, which is a psychological term which breeds jealousy. In other words, there's not enough to go around. If you take it, then I have less. We're going to talk more about this, but this is what was the impetus for Cain to kill his brother, Hevel. The story of Cain and Abel. The jealousy that was rooted in the scarcity mindset, this earthiness of survival. Well, you know, there's not enough on this planet for both of us. 
Now, if you're just concerned with your survival, then you're going to be very happy to just eat healthy, right? Go to the doctor every other week and make sure you're doing okay. Be a hypochondriac, right? Stay alive. Make sure that COVID doesn't kill you, right? Be absolutely anxious and paranoid for every second of your life. You know those people that you walk by on the street because the goal of life is to stay alive at all costs. Whoever lives the longest wins the race and gets to the finish line. And unfortunately, that is a very strong mindset in many, many people who are just living on this earth, in this earth element. Now let's talk a little bit about water because above earth, we know there is water. Now, the realm of water is moving from the domain of the purely physical, which is earth, to the realm of emotion and feeling. Something new happens in the realm of water. The person basically realizes, you know what? This trip that I'm on here for 120 years, God willing, is not just about surviving, right? I'm actually supposed to enjoy this life. I'm supposed to have some pleasures in this life, right? How about some Chinese food or sushi or steak, you know? Isn't that the ultimate enjoyment? I'm going to really start indulging myself in the pleasures of this world because, hey, life is about more than just surviving get a life right now of course there's a place for pleasure we've talked about this in other classes that water and we talked about this in terms of the month of Cheshvan month of Cheshvan coincides with the zodiac sign of scorpion and the element of water no coincidence that the world is wiped out through water uh, in this month right with Noah's flood okay because water, which represents pleasure, if there's too much of it, if you water the plant too much, you kill it. If the plant doesn't get enough water, you're just on the earth. Let me survive. You know, I'm not going to enjoy life. I'm too busy trying to survive and stay alive. You know, then you are starving yourself from water. Because pleasure is very important. God says, Olam chesed yibana. I created this world with kindness, with pleasures, all kinds of them. I want you to enjoy my world. You need them for your spiritual growth, but you need to be master over them and not let the water, so to speak, you know, uh, flood your life and create problems. You need to be master over it. Okay. So water also um, represents love, emotions, right? We said it represents emotions. And as much as we want pleasure in our life, we want to eat the sushi and have the pizza and all of the good stuff. There's a place for that. But what water teaches us is what we're really craving. The higher level of water is we're craving connection. We're craving connection. Connection to other people. 
connection to God, to spirit, to our spiritual selves. And we drown out this desire for connection with connecting to the physical pleasures, which are pleasant, but they're a lower level. They're just a stepping stone for us to be able to have true connection, right? So emotions like love, fear, hope, and even lusts and cravings are related to this idea of water because emotions are like water. You have different types of water. You have rushing water. You have calm water. You have deadly waves, right? You have water that's refreshing. You have salt water that you can't drink. So our emotions reflect the water. They're sometimes pleasant and they're sometimes not. The surfing wave, which we welcome, but the deadly waves are very different. So we're comparing our emotional realm to the element of water. So water is the element of emotion, of connection. Um, okay. You know what? I think we've... We're going to end here, talk next week about the element of wind and about the element of fire. And um, God willing, we'll get more and more into this, but I want to unmute you. Hold on.